Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Talking Joe. It's me, Mark, and we've got a very special episode today. We're going to have Ron Rudat on with us. He's been associated with G.I. Joe for over the 40 years of its life because he was there from before the beginning. He was part of Hasbro's research and development team. He designed pretty much every single figure from 1982 through to 1986 and into 87 and beyond, as well as several vehicles and some of those iconic graphics. Uh, Simply put, without Ron, the G.I. Joe characters as we know them would not have existed. So it's a great honour to have him on today, and I will not be talking to him alone because I will be joined by my good friend, it's a real American Tim, it's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, viewers and listeners. Let's introduce the main man. It's Ron Rudat. Hi, Ron. How are you? Hey, everybody. I am in Massachusetts. And Mark, where are you? I am on the south coast of England in Brighton. South coast. And Ron, where are you? I'm in Massachusetts as well. And are you specifically in your studio? Yes, I am. And you have had this studio for many years, right? I've lived in this house uh, 40 years. So when you were working at Hasbro, you went to Pawtucket and you drew at a desk and you went to meetings, but all of the work that you have created at home you have created in this studio? Uh, correct. Uh, well, not all the G.I. Joe stuff. Actually, it was done all at work, but uh, I would oftentimes bring that work home with me and do the, some of the work here. Okay. And any any personal artwork that you've made, models or or paintings, you have done in this studio? Pretty much, yeah. I, I think since you have known this studio and worked in it for so long, it might seem a little ho-hum to you. Like, yeah, it's my studio. This is where I this is where I sit. This is where I do interviews. Yeah, it's my getaway place. Ah. Is that is that to say that is is it sort of off limits for your family and friends? <laughs> or is it No, no, anybody can come up here anytime they want. It's a total disaster up here though. <laughs> um, this is the this is the third floor of your home. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my studio's in the attic. Okay, and you have a couple windows. There's there's good light. Uh, I have a uh, I have sunlight, a, a sunroof, and uh, a window. Okay, uh, I mean part of why I'm I'm being so specific here is because artists or painters want light, want good light in their studios and often want Northern light because I'm trying right. to remember Northern light is, is it the most even? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah, it's the most even, but it gives you the correct light when you're doing a painting. In terms of color. In terms of color. Yeah. Okay. What I was, what I was starting to get at before is 
if if your studio is familiar and comfortable to you, I think for some of our uh, viewers, they have never known where you work when you work at home, or maybe they don't know anything about an artist's home studio. And so even this little picture of you sitting in a chair in front of a disaster is sort of a, a, a ticket to a new world. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a fantasy land up here, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I have work everywhere. I have work. Uh, I have a, a, a like a, a day bed over here and it's just filled with paintings. And then I have uh, other stuff just laying around. I have, paintings on the walls. I have, uh, um, I have artwork, uh, from Hasbro stuck in a corner over there. I'm just junk everywhere. I'm, I'm, so, I'm planning on, <laughs> on doing a major cleanup up soon. Okay. All right. So I think I see on one shelf behind you, some big three ring binders. Yeah. All right, so Ron, uh, I'm interested in both the junk and the treasure. So I see two big three-ring binders behind you, and maybe a big book. I'm guessing that that's reference. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reference there. Um, I was a model maker. Well, not a model maker, but I was a. Uh, I had a hobby of painting uh, uh, what they call Zen figurines from Germany, and. Um, a lot of my reference is military. Uh, and then uh, I have a lot of art books here too. Okay. So when you say reference, what I take that to mean is books of soldiers' uniforms. Correct. Weaponry, images of, of planes and vehicles and tanks. Nope. <laughs> this is much older than that. Uh, I like anything that was before World War One or before World War Two. Okay. And then uh, I don't have a lot of a, I don't have a lot of World War II period things or World War I. Um, most of my stuff is uh, probably from 15th century up. Okay. Is there something about that era in, in sort of geography or in, in history? I, I like the uniforms and uh, costumes of that time. Okay. So when you say 15th century, what, what, what countries or what armies or what, what wars are you thinking? That's hard to say, you know, I mean, you can go from the war of the roses all the way up and, uh, you know, Louis, the Louis, the 16th, uh, you know, um, and just various different periods. Uh, but this, but this is Europe. Yeah. Okay, it's not like it's also Japan or or China or uh, like South America. It's 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 Europe. It's mostly Europe. Okay, uh, and and of course the American Civil War because I was I was a Civil War reenactor at one time. How long did you do that for? About thirteen years. Did you? How often would you go and do that? Um. Well, most of the time uh, uh, doing the reenactments was from probably May to uh, October. Um, I was on a competition musket shooting uh, team at, at one time. Wow. Um, I, I shoot an, 
I shoot an 1861 model Springfield original. So, you know, we would go to different competitions throughout New England or New York and uh, once a year down in Virginia. So um, am I hearing that, that there are two different activities that are related? Because when I think of reenactments for the Civil War, I think of people dressing up as one army or the other or both and and acting out a battle in a location you are also describing a, a marksmanship competition. Right, right. So were you doing the first one? Were you reenacting in battles? No. Okay, just the just riflery. Pretty much, pretty much competition musket shooting. In costume. In costume with other Civil War teams. Okay. And you were on a team. You're right. How did you find the team and how big was I, it? I helped form that team. How did you form it? Well, I personally, I didn't start the team, but um, it was started by another guy whose great-grandfather was in the Civil War and was in the cavalry unit. And uh, I had heard about it. My best friend heard about it. And we just all got together and we started this group. And uh, yeah, so that went for a while. I was in that group for a little, uh, for, I don't know how long I was, but we researched our own uniforms and everything like that. You know, I was with a Southern unit. I wasn't with a Yankee unit. I was with a Southern unit. So the, the uniforms were a little harder to figure out. And, uh, you know, and eventually, you know, we started out with great gray uniforms, of course, with the South. But as you look into the history of the uniforms from different locations in, in the country, they had different materials and different colors of, the, of their uniforms. Seeing I was in a Virginia unit, um, I did a lot of research on it, and my uniform ended up being a butternut homespun brown uniform. Wow. So I still have that. Uh, it's a World War One blanket, believe it or not. It was made from a blanket, my jacket. Okay. World War One was a homespun cloth. On that uniform, are, I always look for original buttons, not reproduction ones, but original buttons. So they're, on my uniform, there are Yankee buttons on my southern jacket. Okay. You could you can't find the Confederate buttons. They're little really hard to find. So I don't know much about. Uh, I I did riflery. Uh, I, I shot with twenty twos when I went to summer camp when I was ten. Right. But I, from what little I know of history about, say the the, the Revolutionary War, older weapons because they are less accurate or there's less consistency from weapon to weapon. I get the sense that they are difficult to fire with accuracy. Can you talk about firing a musket? Yeah, it's easy to fire a musket. Um, Okay. It takes a 58 caliber uh, round. It's made out of lead. I made my own uh, bullet heads and they're called mini balls. And uh, they're three ring bullets 
I, I pack them into a little cylinder with the powder, which is probably about, oh, I forgot how many grains, 52 grains of powder. And then you put the bullet on it. And then on top of the bullet, you put Crisco. And that, that helps the bullet go through the barrel much easier. And, uh, yeah, you would you'd bite the bullet with your teeth, pour the powder down the barrel, put the bullet on top, and then you have a rammer on your rifle, and you take it and you ram it down so it's nice and tight. Bring it up, you pull back the, the, the hammer, and then you put the cap, which is uh, on, on the back of the nipple, they call it. And um, the cap just fires a, the uh, flame into the, into the barrel and goes off. My Springfield shoots dead on. It, it is very accurate. You know, in the right hands, it is very, very accurate. Uh, we had a competition with M16s at a, at a shoot one time, and our muskets beat the M16s. Wow. Shot for shot. <laughs> so it, the guns back then were very accurate. Just, But if the... If the M16 misses, they get... <laughs> yeah. It takes a longer time to load. You could probably get three rounds off in a minute. You know, I mean... So is there a... Um, uh, do you have a certain number of shots per round or per turn or per tournament? When I was doing riflery as a kid, you know, we had five shots on a paper target. Yeah. Uh, what's What's your... What's your breakdown? How many shots do you get or, or turns do you get? Well, we go to a competition and it's, uh, it's hard to explain it, but they have a big, a big stanchion out in the field. You're probably about 50 yards away. On there are clay pigeons on, mounted on a, on a board. There are probably eight rows of clay pigeons. On a team, there are eight men. So uh, it is a timed event, and you have to shoot your particular pigeon within that time. And when if you finish yours, you go to the next guys and help them out. So uh, the closest one to finishing or le the least amount of time uh, actually wins that event. Okay. And, and this is um, this interest in shooting, it sounds like so much of it for you is in the history and in the costume. Yeah. Do you also do you also shoot with sidearms at a regular shooting range? Um, some guys do. Uh, they have a, a Springfield or let's see. A, an army model or a navy model Colt and for pistols. And they have their own competition that probably twenty five yards away. You know? You're you're describing this is if I can find one. I don't know if I still have it. Oh I got it hidden away here in my <laughs> cabaret. This is a holster. Okay. That I made. This is the pistol. Okay. 
when does that date to? Oh, this is a reproduction. Okay. The original, when's the original from? Uh, about 1862, 63. It's a 44 caliber, I think, Army model. Okay. But you, you don't shoot with, with modern or new weapons? No. You, you have not gone out to like a gun club or a shooting range to shoot with like a nine millimeter Beretta or whatever? No. Okay. I don't even want to be near one. Okay. So this sounds like the, for you, the hobby is very much in, in the history of it. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I was always interested in history and that's why uh, I did the things I did. I mean, I, I've got things from that period here. I have original uh, belts from the American civil war here. I have civil war swords hanging up on the wall. I have several uh, muskets, things like that. But I like it. I like the older period rather than modern. Yeah, you can see the headgear up there I have. Ah, there we go. Wow. If I turn this way, you can see my musket hanging up on the up on the beam up there. Oh, wow. Okay, so hanging under that beam, I see a I see an airplane. Yeah. Uh that's that's a model you built, right? No, actually it's a toy. Oh, okay, okay. But you you are a are you a model builder? Have you build models of Tanks and planes? No. Okay. That's F4U Corsair. World okay. War II. That's from, um, it's a company. Um, oh, what's the name of the company? I can't even think of it. But I have a Spitfire and I have a uh, P-51 as well. Our Mission Schmidt 109. And those were uh, 20th century toys. I think I was, they're no longer in business. I was going to say, just talking about the the Civil War reenactments, um, just put me to mind uh, of cross country that obviously uh, yeah. he has got uh, quite quite a, a significant Civil War influence on on him. I did that purposely. I put a, a Civil War kepi on him. I think I put a belt plate on him, and uh, yeah, I think that's supposed to be Guy Cassidy, a, a friend of mine at work. Uh-huh. And the the second version of Cross Country is also in a Civil War inspired costume, and maybe even more so. Is that from '93? I think. But I don't think that one was Ron. I think this the version two was after Ron's time. Uh, yes, that's a good point. So, Ron, this is not you. I know this is after you stopped designing figures. I think what I'm asking is. Did you, while you were still at Hasbro, but no longer designing G.I. Joe, did you ever go back and do a little bit of work on a figure? Um, yeah, I think I did. I, I, I worked on Steel Brigade. So I did the Steel Brigade figure. Okay. And I have some drawings from when I visited you at your studio. Yeah. Uh, you gave me a, a photocopy of some drawings of the star brigade figures yeah um so it, to my mind uh after you stopped your your solid years of figure designing you did go back and create some looks for the what is this mark is star brigade 92 93 um ron you did some of the astronauts when there was a team of astronauts yeah i was asked to help uh i think it was kurt growing Right. At the time. And uh, 
he, he needed some help. And so uh, I, you know, I was willing to do anything for, you know, doing an, uh, another Joe. So. so when you, after your uh, six or so years of designing Joe figures, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, is it, it's 82 to 87. Do I have that right? Till about the middle of 87. Okay. And then Mark Pennington took over. So Ron, was it your idea to stop designing Joe or was it someone else's idea? No, it was basically my idea because uh, I felt I had more imagination to do other product. And uh, I don't, you know, I kind of wish I had stayed on, but still, still it is starting to get pretty hard coming up with the different figures to do. And, uh, yeah, it was all, all my idea to come off. So what are some products you worked on after GI Joe while you were still at Hasbro? Yeah, well, I worked on one product that never even got made. So, uh, I worked on that for over a year with an engineer and that never happened. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was a figure that I don't know. I had some kind of liquid inside of it, and the figure had a a plunger on the top of its head that was made into a a helmet or a camera or something like that. And you pull up the the plunger, and the whole figure would just be liquid inside it never worked out so we just never produced it sorry go for it mark i was gonna say you also went on to work on wwf was that that was after gij was it uh yeah i worked on wwf for a while until the line was basically canceled um i wasn't the only one i uh there were probably three other designers working on the on wwf as well but uh, yeah, I did quite a few figures for WWF, and uh, I'm still doing wrestling figures for another guy right now. Who's that, and how's that going? And that's going uh, pretty good. I, every now and then, he'll send me a, a figure to do. He promised me two weeks ago that he'd give me Bruce Lee because he got the rights to it, and I haven't received it yet, so I'm just waiting. Uh, I did a figure for him. Yeah, two weeks ago, I did a figure for him of of a wrestler. I think he's uh, he's using my name and my designs to promote his stuff. You know, he's he's saying, "Oh, these these are produced by the legend toy maker Ron Rudat," and he puts it on his every package. Of his so, uh, he's he's using my name and to promote his stuff. Uh, yeah, you're a legend. If I can, <laughs> you know, if if you got it, flaunt it. Um, if I could return to something that we were talking about earlier, we we're talking about your studio space, and I, I had these, uh, this photo. Oh, that was it. My old studio, the studio at Hasbro. Uh-huh. So this was your work area in uh, in Hasbro itself. Yeah. Did they let you have your TV on when you were working at, in the in the Hasbro office? Actually, yeah. I mean, oh. not this one, 
But another office I had, I had a little black and white TV and sitting right beside my desk and I'd be watching TV and I'd be working. And this photo too, is this uh, is this in your attic, in your loft? Yeah, that's my studio. Yeah, I got a different TV now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, I have so many more questions, but I feel like I've been hogging the mic, so I want to give you some space <laughs> if you've got if you've got more. If you've if you've got a question uh, prompted by this image, do you want to do you want to ask it, Tim, while we're while we're on it? Ron, can you describe the the atmosphere and the feeling at Hasbro of working in a space like this with the coworkers you had? Yeah, the atmosphere was good at Hasbro at that time. Um, we had a lot of fun in there. We you know we joked around with each other and. Uh, you know, it, only times it got serious was when we had a meeting with our our managers, and uh, or when there was a presentation coming up, and we had to present to management. Those were the only serious times we had. But we've had like brainstorming meetings outside of the building. We would go to uh, one of the uh, big parks, and uh, you know it'd be at a brainstorming meeting all day long, just trying to come up with new ideas for, for toys, you know? And, uh, the president at, at that time, uh, well, was, uh, Stephen Hassenfeld and, uh, he took the entire, uh, R and D department to the marble house in Newport, Rhode Island. And, um, had a big dinner there. We all dressed up in tuxedos and our wives were in gowns and, you know, and it was him thanking us for doing what we, we did. We would have a little powder puff, uh, uh, games, I guess. I don't know. Kidding around with each other, throwing stuff at each other. Uh, <laughs> camaraderie was there and the creativeness was there and uh, we did everything by hand we wasn't that on a computer like they're doing now um, I recently went into uh, Hasbro probably you know, I'd say a couple months ago and uh, I saw what they've done to the building uh, I don't care for it but you know that's the way they do it now uh, R&D is pretty messy in there right now. It's a, kind of a disaster. They got stuff in the hallways uh, stacked up. They got big tables in the middle section where we uh, used to design outside our cubes. Uh, it, it's totally different than when we had it. I mean, we respected the building and everything like that, you know. But the camaraderie there was always great with us, you know, with our team and, and the people I worked with. It sounds like quite a collaborative environment. Like, would you go down and, and visit? So so you're doing, you know, the R&D and the, and the initial design. But would you go down and visit the, the people doing like the sculpting of the, the figures and see how they were getting on and All the their time. processes and things? All the time. We yeah yeah if I, if I was designed a figure um and one of our sculptors got it um i would go down there and i'd check it and i'd look at it and 
you know, do a lot of the aesthetic stuff. Uh, I would tell him this is not the way it's supposed to be, that it's supposed to be this way or whatever. And, you know, and I'd always check. And so I'm, sometimes, you, you, you know, you talk to an engineer and uh, to make sure things are fitting correctly and stuff like that. I would get things in from uh, from Hong Kong and, uh, you know, make sure that that figure was, you know, what I'm, what I'm looking for and everything like that. And, uh, yeah, always, always working with people all the time, you know. When in the sculpting process, did you ever get hands on and, and sort of have a little like tweak yourself, like have a, have a go at seeing, seeing how that process worked hands on yourself? I wasn't allowed to touch them after. <laughs> no. <laughs> But I, but the fact that you would walk down the hallway and talk to a sculptor and point to something, I yeah. think, speaks to sort of you know, almost that much of a, of a connection. Yeah. And and if I can add a little bit of context, I think as GI Joe fans, we either are sort of continually remembering this, or we forget and take it for granted that when Ron was working on GI Joe, GI Joe was a sales juggernaut. And Hasbro had several other hit lines like Transformers and My Little Pony. And so, right. so on the one hand, sales were great and people were getting hired to make more product and more product lines as a contrast to some other toy company that was much smaller or didn't have any hits or had modest hits that weren't on television. And at the same time, I imagine there was then this pressure every year it's like, well, last year we we did great sales. What do you got for me this year? And <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that's that's. I imagine sort of your your bosses might have been asking you or nudging you. You know, the expectation was okay. Sales were great last year. Sales need to be even better or great this year. Yeah, so yeah. on the one hand, you could you could take pride in knowing that you had a hit, you had a number one or a number two line, but also the, the pressure to keep it up. Yeah. Well, there was pressure to keep it up, but it wasn't, wasn't basically our idea. Uh, it was basically marketing telling us what they're looking for. It's, hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, they, they would say they would need a, a vehicle at a such, uh, such and such a price point and uh our guys would go and uh come up with some uh, rough designs on on what they think they they should be looking at and and uh we would go from there um i had a lot of freedom uh in, in doing the figures i could do almost anything i wanted to and uh you know so that's what that's what I did. Most of my ideas, you know, they came from my head. You know, I mean, I I use reference and stuff like that to design the figures. But yeah, as far as uh, coming up with the next great hit, um, we never know. We don't know what the great next hit's going to be. Right. Right. Of course. Was was like the the kickoff point for any given wave of figures? Was it was it you all got together and had this brainstorming session and you had a list of things to explore? Or yeah, well, 
in my case, we would have a brainstorm meeting and uh, figure out, you know, what kind of figure we want to do. You know, uh, we just had working titles on, on everything. Uh, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of an example, like uh, a bazooka soldier or something like that. You know, and uh, working name. A winter soldier, you know, just say winter soldier. And from there, you just create what you think a winter soldier looks like. And and some of this is um, pairing what the Joes are going to have versus what Cobra is going to have. That one year, maybe there's going to be a Joe vehicle that is sort of the same shape or so, sort of the same uh, price as a Cobra vehicle so that they can kind of do battle. Or if there's going to be an underwater vehicle, there's also going to be an underwater guy, or if there's going to be an underwater vehicle for the Joes, there's going to be an underwater vehicle for the Cobras, so that each year suggests certain play patterns for kids. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's and that's defined by marketing, and then you're filling in the gaps. Like, okay, well, Pretty much. Yeah. you know, filling a heli- a, a, some kind of plane or flying thing that's $8. Yeah. And that might be a little one-person helicopter. It might be a hang glider jetpack. It might be a tiny, tiny plane. You had mentioned um, meetings before where uh, every so often you would go in and present your work to the higher-ups. And there were different levels of those meetings, right? You might show your work to just your immediate supervisor in R&D, and then there might be a later meeting where R&D is presenting all of its work to the vice presidents. Is that right? There are these tiers of sort of like making it to the next round. I don't remember having to do different tiers or anything like that. I, you know, I mean, uh, I would do uh, the drawings of the figures that um, we're going to do for the coming year. And we would have one major uh, presentation. And that would be not just to the president of the company, but it would be to all the marketing people and the sales people and and uh, whoever else was in that meeting. There could be 20 people in there that you're presenting to. Yeah, you would get up in front of them, and uh, which I hated and with a passion. And you just present to them, and uh, you would find out after the presentation uh, more or less what figures you're going to do. Yeah, that's basically how it worked. Uh, yeah. I, I I hated presentations. You know, I'm not wanting to get up in front of people and, and talk. I was seen as a very quiet guy at, at Hasbro. So when I got up there, I got very nervous. I, I lost my train of thought, um, you know, on what I was going to say and everything. So it didn't do me any good. Yeah, I, I heard from previous stories from a couple of people. I think uh, that they're piecing to piecing together the, the 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 story. It sounds like it was a presentation for the gung ho blues dress or Marines blue dress, and uh, Stephen Schwartz uh, didn't didn't like it and tore it in half. I might be I might be piecing it together wrong, but I don't think it was gung ho. It was another figure. Uh, and he did. Okay. Steve Schwartz took uh, one of my drawings and just ripped it in half, which was not the thing to do. 
Um, no one liked Steve. I mean, he was head of sales, right? VP of sales. He was. Uh, he was head of the marketing department. VP of marketing. Okay, excuse me. Vice president of marketing. Um, Ron, you designed a couple of vehicles along the way for GI Joe, right? Right. Can you tell us about that? Um, in in broad strokes, because designing a vehicle is different than designing a figure. Yeah. What's the name of the vehicle he designed? Uh, the the Moray hydrofoil Moray. Yeah, I did the hydrofoil Moray. I designed that. I still have the drawing. One here of my favorites that I designed. Got one of my favorites here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Thunder Machine. I did that one. It's got my my street number on it. <laughs> did you know that? Oh, right. Is that is that there? Uh, no. That one. Yeah. One six <laughs> one six nine is my street number. <laughs> Fantastic. So, can you talk about approaching a vehicle and how that's different? from approaching a figure? Not really. I mean, it, it, you just start doing rough sketches of uh, what you want, you know, and and uh, that's basically it. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like designing a figure. You just start drawing them and, uh, and uh, see what you come up with. I did Triple T as well for Sergeant Slaughter. And did you also do uh, did you do Serpentor's air chariot? Yeah, I did Serpentor's air chariot and Serpentor. Um, so I, I guess what I'm asking if the if it sounds like you don't see the approach as different because both of them just involve thinking and drawing and experimenting. Maybe what I'm what I'm asking about is figures are going to be organic shapes. They're going to have clothing and a different arrangement and sort of vocabulary of accessories like a pocket or a knife or, um, you know, some metals and hair and a facial expression. And a vehicle is, is static and it's mechanical. You're right. And I feel, and, and so in that regard, drawing a character in a pose or who has personality, even if, you know, they're going to be sculpted in a straight pose is different than, um, you know, the angles on an airplane or the, the flat edges on a tank. Yeah. Pretty much. So, so does, does that, does that, does that sound familiar or do you have any sort of reaction or correction to that? Yeah. Uh, I don't tell you on that. Uh, the direction is certainly different. You know, you, you're doing a figure and it's like you say, it's organic and, uh, doing a vehicle, you know, you, you just start doing rough sketches of it and what you think it might look like. And, uh, yeah. And then you just start drawing it basically. Um, uh, the Maori came from watching, uh, the Miami Vice, basically. <laughs> they remember they they were always in that speedboat, and that's basically where the Maury came from. Okay. I did the one man helicopter there for uh, Cobra. The Fang. The Fang, yeah, I did the Fang. That idea basically came from James Bond. You remember James Bond, and he he was 
trying to get away and he got into this little airplane and flew off. It was like a little jet. Right. You know, he took off. Yeah. The idea for that came from there. I don't know. I, I don't remember where triple T came from. Um, I also did the pack rats. I did all three of the pack rats. Didn't the thunder machine get, take some inspiration from um, Mad Max? Oh yeah. Yeah. The thunder machine came basically from Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And uh, somebody built one of those for real. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere out, out in the Midwest of, uh, of the country. Yeah. One of the one of the things I wanted to ask about was that the the mask behind your behind over your shoulder. Uh, yeah. Ron, what's um What's that that mask? It looks like possibly something that uh, Zartan would have. There we go. Um, Zartan in his yeah. backpack. Yeah. It's got that little teeny tiny little face. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's something I did at work for fun one day. I had one of the uh, other designers take some uh, some, uh, dentist alginate, you know, how they make impressions of your mouth. Well, I laid down on a table and he poured this stuff all over my face. And it made a mold. And... uh, I just had it cast in, uh, with body putty. And then I painted it. So, that's me <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> um, from far away, when, when it was still hanging behind you, it looks like the little mask that comes with the original Zartan figure yeah. that you place over his face so that it sort of looks like he's <laughs> disguised as shipwreck. Yeah, uh, it got it dated too. Five twenty eighty three. I was oh, wow. I was thirty four and a half years old. Eighty three. It's interesting. You you said that you thought Zartan Zartan's face was meant to be shipwrecked. I don't think I'd ever made that connection. Did do do you have a no, remem- uh, a memory of of who that masked man is? No, it just made up. If shipwreck is in the com- the TV commercial for the Zartan toy, right? Maybe. Where's Zartan? I don't know any Zartan. Yeah, uh, that might have been me making a connection that wasn't necessarily there. No, there's no connection. Yeah, he's su- he's such an unusual such an unusual design. What can you think? What what were you? Uh, what was the springboard for for the idea of Zartan? There's nothing. I just made him up. I don't know. Um, the see-through thing was a uh, Kurt Bazigian saying, saying we got to have something funky with this figure. So um, that's why the clear shield on them. And, and I think it changed color, didn't it? Yeah. In sunlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a Kurt Bazigian. Yeah. But uh rest of the figure is mine. I just made them up. <laughs> I guess K- yeah. Kiss, the, the band Kiss must've been quite popular at the time. So I don't know if, if their all of their makeup might have been part of the melting pot. No, not as far as I know. Ron, in those years that you were designing figures, the GI Joe line was was so big, and every year or so you were also designing a vehicle. It, for part of the year, were you working on other projects at Hasbro, or were you only on GI Joe? 
at that time I was only on GI Joe. I mean, it took a long time to do figures. You know, you come up with a design and then you come up with a, a presentation drawing and then you go to color and then you go to uh, sculptural input and, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. And then as soon as you, that line is finished, you go on to the next one. Right. So I only worked on figures at the time. I'm doing the same thing right now with the Carson's figures. Yeah. Can you talk about Carson Metaxas's Operation Recall? Yeah. He's doing Operation Recall. And uh, it's basically to do this, do figures the same way we did them when we worked at Hasbro. And he's gonna come. He's gonna come out with uh, three and three quarter inch figures, and their their design is based off of the fans that love GI Joe. That's basically what we're doing, you know. And uh, you can see that the picture you just showed up there is uh, some of the rough sketches I did, and uh, and then the sculptural input. You know, and uh, that's based off of a figure that he presented to Hasbro when he was 10 years old. And so, you know, he wanted to, you know, reproduce that figure from when he was 10. And uh, that's when I came up with all this stuff. And and uh, he went through a review with Kurt Bazigian and, stayed, and he stated what he thought it should be. And. Here's all the corrections Kirk did. And I'm basically doing the same exact thing right now. <laughs> uh, I'm working on a figure right now of one of the figures. And I, I, I want to get these drawings done at ASAP. Because I, I've got four. I've got eight of them I got to do. And it's not, I won't be able to finish this until next year. You know, um, they t it takes a long time, you know, and, uh, you know, I did the draw, I did the, uh, I did rough drawings and the Kurt went in and uh, Carson had to get a uh, Kurt to go over the figures and he, and draw out what he wanted to see, uh, added. And, uh, so now I got to take Carson sent these to me a couple of weeks ago and, but I, I waited, uh, quite a while uh, before I even got the my drawings back with the corrections. And now I got to go in and uh, do a finished uh, drawing of, uh, of the figure. And as soon as I get all these done, then I got to send them off to Carson. And, and, uh, and I'll probably have to do color studies of these. And after color studies, I'm going to have to do sculptural input of these. And it's not just me, it's Mark Pennington, because Mark Pennington has eight figures as well to do. I think he's got more time on his hands than I do, though. Uh, and then Bill Merkline is sculpting the figures. Yeah, Bill Merkline's sculpting the figures. Uh, and he was a he was a freelance sculptor who did a bunch of Joes in the yeah. 80s. Yes. Yeah. He was not in Rhode Island. He was not in-house. No, Bill's in New York. And... Uh, we had a couple of guys on the outside working on figures, and Bill was one of them. And uh, there was another guy. He was from uh, Peru or or Chile or something like that. I can't think of his name. He is an outstanding sculptor as well. But right now, it's mainly Bill. So, 
Uh, well, I have I have backed this Kickstarter, and I am tickled that both specifically Carson gets his childhood uh, action figure design made real and in a uh, classic way, and also other fans who have sort of joined in, uh, they get their their fan designs made as figures. Yeah, Ron. Part of why I asked about if you had time in the schedule to work on other products at Hasbro besides G.I. Joe is that um, I believe I have a drawing of yours of a, or I've seen an image of a cops vehicle, the, the cops and crooks toy line. Oh yeah. And so I was wondering if you had any recollections of that toy line. I know that Bart Sears was the main yeah, designer was, on that. Yeah. Um, but do you remember uh, contributing it sort of just once or a little bit, because there were, I think, two years of the toy, and then there was a third year that didn't happen. Do you remember how you contributed to COPS? I think I only did one thing on that, and that was a vehicle. Okay. You know, there was a vehicle that had all these uh, louvers on the front of it, and uh, I think that's the only thing I worked on. Okay. And then while we're talking about the toy lines that aren't a real American hero. You got to Hasbro in the 70s. Yeah, 71. 71. So as long as you worked on a real American hero, you spent more years than that before it happened working on other things at Hasbro. So I feel like when you were telling us about how it felt and how the camaraderie was, at Hasbro, and we were looking at that photo of your desk. I feel like that may have been about uh, the 1980s. How was Hasbro in the 70s when you got there? You were younger. You you didn't have the experience. There yeah. were different toy lines. What was that like? And what did you do? Uh, I worked in the art department for seven years, and uh, I would basically be doing a lot of instructional art. Some some finished art, not much, uh, but I, I also like corrected uh, illustrations that came in. Like uh, the, there's a 12 inch GI Joe package that has uh, a vehicle in it with a Joe, and it's in the desert. And they wanted to wipe something out on that illustration, so I had to go in there with a. Gouache, some gouache paint and uh, get rid of that particular thing. You know, I, I, I did some accessories. Uh, I did some illustrations on accessories, uh, you know, like the, the sled that has the uh, sail on it. I did that illustration. Uh, I'm not sure what else I worked on. So in, in my, in my sort of, reading of hasbro history yeah hasbro 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 got put on the map in uh well with mr potato head but hasbro really got put on the map in 1964 with gi joe and then hasbro had this big hit again with gi joe in 82 and transformers in 84. but it it feels like to me that hasbro in the 70s when uh the 12 inch adventure team was getting released and we, we keep focusing on action figures, but Hasbro had all these other toys, some games, activity kits, dolls, sort of role play for little kids, you know, like kitchen right. sets. 
So can you talk about some of those lines or products in the 70s that wasn't the 12-inch G.I. Joe? Oh, jeez. <laughs> or, or in general, your sense of... I know, I know, I'm, I know, I'm reaching back here, but yeah, my um, my memory is not all that great. So okay, I worked on a lot of the activity uh, sets out the arts and crafts things. Like okay, stuff like that. One of the things that you've not mentioned yet is Weebles Wobble. What is it? Weebles Wobble. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Weebles Wobble, but they don't fall down. Yeah, I worked on that too. I did a lot of the artwork for the for the Weebles and along with other people. So when you're, okay, you get to Hasro in 1971 and you worked in the art department for seven years. So yep. for someone who doesn't know know how toy companies work, how is the art department different than the R&D, the research and design department? Well, the art department is, the, they're the people creating all the packaging and all the instructional stuff and things like that, you know? It's way different than uh, R and D because R and D people are coming up with the ideas for the product and have nothing to do with packaging or any of the artwork or anything like that. So, and R and D is working with and taking direction from the marketing department. Correct. Because together they're inventing the lines and the products. Yeah. Whereas the art department comes a step later. Right. Like, okay, this toy is going to need instructions. We'll draw the instructions or we'll do the typography and the art for the instructions. Right. Yeah. So you made the transition from the art department to the R and D department. Did the other people in the art department, did they want to move? They were not. I was the only one asked. You were asked. Okay. So was this a, was this a promotion up or was this a promotion uh, sideways? No, I'd say it was a promotion up for me. Um, They asked me if I wanted to join the R&D department, and I I said, well, would I get a little bit more money if I do that? (laughs) And uh, they said, yeah. yeah." And I said, okay, I'll join the uh, R&D department. And was the art department small or large compared to the R&D department? At that time, it was very, very small. The arts department was small. The very, yeah, the arts department was very, very small. R&D was very, very small. Okay. Uh, we were based in Central Falls in a uh, old factory building. Not in Pawtucket? No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it was small. The R&D was very small. Uh I can't tell you how many people in there. Probably maybe ten people, if 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 that. Uh, our department was basically the same way. We've maybe six people. Yeah, there was a great panel at the I think second to last Joe Con, and it was on Hasbro in the seventies. And there was a photograph of uh, the arts department. I think. Yep. Maybe it was the R and D department in like 1974, and it was it was six people. And I, I know that two or three people, one or two people, were missing from the photo. Right. And for our listeners and viewers, uh, where Ron is describing this, these two small departments, I think right. the big change is 1982 when GI Joe takes off and the R and D department gets bigger because yeah. the GI Joe line needs more product 
and then you know and there's my little pony and transformers and visionaries and yeah. etc you know when we were in the central falls they weren't that good. and you said you said a photograph of the r&d department there were it was separated you know there was one room here and one room here this room had maybe six people this one had four people you know and uh, we had a sculptor in there too one sculptor and um yeah i mean very small the same way when i was in the art department there were probably five people on one side uh, of the de department and four others on the other side so you know we were separate it was very small you know and so seven years after you got to hasbro do i have that number right you got promoted from the arts department to the R&D department? Yeah. And is that when you moved to Pawtucket, or did that happen at a different time? Um, let me see. No, I was still in Central Falls when I went there. Okay. When I went to uh, R&D. When did you go from Central Falls to Pawtucket? Well, they were renovating uh, the buildings over in Pawtucket. And we ended up in, uh, in an old stop and shop building. Okay. Which is now is, corporate headquarters. Is it, uh, uh, I'm remembering a different, is it, um, is it not stop and shop? Is it A&P? A&P maybe. A grocery store? Yeah. Okay. And that was, that was R&D in that entire building along with marketing. And then... I'm not sure how many years later, maybe three or four years later, we moved across the street to the main factory building. When, you know, when they totally redid the whole building and we had one, one whole side of the building. We ended up eventually having about 170 uh, R&D people. That's including uh, sculpting and, and everything else that was in there all the various different departments, boys, girls, you know, whatever. And that was uh, play school for little kids. Play school was in a, a separate part of the building. You know, uh, art department was another separate part of the building, but all your creatives were in that one building. I'm not sure if marketing was there or not. Uh, they had to be though, probably in the front of the building. Was there a cafeteria? Yeah, there's a big cafeteria there. Um, the big main hallway that runs down the center of the building. It's all different now. Okay, but then how was the food? Food wasn't <laughs> bad because they hired a chef to come in. Yeah. What would you have for lunch? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever there was there. Okay. Sometimes I didn't have lunch. Because, because you were on a deadline? Well, because maybe I wanted to do uh, my own artwork or sometimes I would just run out of the building and get something down the street. Right. You know, so we had an hour for lunch, so it wasn't bad. Were there particular shops or uh, places to get food near the Hasbro building where yeah. you might go for art supplies or a turkey sandwich or markers? No. Okay. No. If I wanted art supplies, I would have to go into Providence. Okay. Um, if I wanted to get something to eat, I'd have to go probably a half a mile down the street. Okay. You know, I mean, it, it's not close to much at all. 
Yeah, it's it, from from Pawtucket to Rhode Island, uh, to Providence. It's a fifteen minute drive, right? Yeah, down north and north North Main Street. Yeah, pretty much. Or you can take ninety five, I guess. Uh yeah, take ninety five, or I can take the back way. No, one one fifty two. So. Was there any sort of friendly rivalry between between the different teams? No, no rivalry. Not, none, none whatsoever. We all got along pretty well. Nobody was mean to anyone. So I don't know if you could say that about bosses, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it was overall it was. What about between brands like GI Joe and Transformers? Well, I had nothing to do with the Transformers. I did do some rough sketches for Manimals, but uh, that's about it. I, I have also heard from people who worked on Transformers that Transformers was a, a different structure because the toys were designed in Japan. And so it was a smaller team in the States. And there were a lot of, there were other or different or fewer decisions being made, like color schemes and names and, and packaging. And there was still back and forth on the designs. And there were there was art made on Transformers, um, but it was it was a smaller team because effectively the other half of the team was in Japan at Takara. So I had these couple of photos here from uh, this is from Yojo uh, that I sourced these from, but these are guess from like R and D trips that you you were taking as a as a team to go and see what was happening with the real life military. Uh, you definitely got uh, inspiration yeah. for the, the yeah. bridge layer there. Can you tell us a little bit about about those trips? Yeah, that was just a research trip. We went to uh, Cape Cod, Camp Edwards. Uh, that's at the beginning of Cape Cod. That's a training camp for uh, Army and Air Force. Uh, connected to, uh, you can see uh, the bridge layer there, and that's Greg Bernstein standing there. And uh, he actually built the G.I. Joe bridge layer. The other picture with a tank, that's uh, uh, Wayne Luther. I think that might have been the tank that I had my picture taken in. I'm not sure. But um, we would do research trips all the time. You know, uh, we went over to Otis Air Force Base, which is connected to Camp Edwards. And... Uh, we got to, um, you know, see a F-14 or F-15 close up and uh, helicopters and whatever, you know. It was a fun trip. You know, we got to ride in an APC, which is an armored personnel carrier. We all piled into the inside of it and they took us around their, their course they have there. Uh, of course, you can't see out, so you're just <laughs> bouncing all over the place. Greg Bernstein and I went to uh, Quonset Naval Base, which was in Rhode Island, and uh, they they were uh, had two aircraft carriers here, and uh, we went inside uh, one of the aircraft carriers, and Greg was taking a lot of pictures of uh, the inside to see the structure and everything uh, that he used for the USS Flag that he that Greg built. There are other shows that were out there. Um, things I couldn't, 
I didn't get a chance to go to, but uh, others did. They had an armor show or a weapons show uh, in Las Vegas, and I know the, some of the guys went out there to see that and see what the latest uh, was in weaponry. And uh, those are all things that we got ideas from. So These trips were a couple times a year for several years, right? I um yeah yeah it's a lot of the shows I I I didn't get a chance to go to but you know um, marketing people went to these shows too and it's like I don't know how useful it was to them because they weren't designing anything <laughs> so but they they tend to take up those trips but uh, Wayne Luther was the head of R and D is that right and Greg Bernstein. Uh, and Greg Brinson was later the head of R&D, but both of these guys worked on vehicles. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what Wayne's position was here. He was like... Uh, I'm going to look it up because I have it on my computer. You keep talking. I think he was vice president of boys at the time in R&D. Greg Bernstein was just a manager at Hasbro on, on, the, boy, on the G.I. Joe line. Uh, he wasn't a head, head of it, but you know, he was a manager. Uh, you, you talked about going to the gun shows and seeing the latest weaponry and, and, and stuff, but when you were designing the, the figures and the accessories that went with them, so the, you know, the toy guns and the backpacks and all these kind of things, right. would you normally do those as well, or, or would someone else typically pick up that activity of designing the, the accessories? I basically did the design on all the weapons. They would be ba- some of them would be based on real life weapons, but we didn't want to copy of them, copy them exactly, you know, to real world uh, weaponry. So a lot of those, some of those, I made up. You know, they look similar to actual, but they're not. I have on my, uh, I have a, a flow chart for 1982, 1981. Uh, for my book um, at Hasbro. I have that uh, Wayne Luther was project manager uh, on G.I. Joe uh, under Steve DeGuano. Um, but I, I will admit that this uh, organizational chart uh, may, be, uh, may be incorrect and um, certainly people change position over time. Yeah. Um, but both those two guys photographed with tanks did work on G.I. Joe vehicles. And yeah. Greg Burns and sort of famously, Greg Brinson's a train guy, and he designed the G.I. Joe train. Train? Yeah, uh, it's, it's Tyco, right? The scale model train? Oh, I have no, no idea. I know it was a hobby of Greg's to, to, uh, to build some of these uh, uh, flatbed uh, rail cars and, and other box cars and things. It was a hobby of his. So uh, he knew what he was doing on those. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't remember seeing it. Ron, what was your final year at Hasbro? In 1999, December 7th, ah. a day that will live in infamy. Uh, I hesitate to inquire more specifically about that day, but... Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, what were 
what were some projects you were working on in the final year or two in, in broader strokes? Oh, I can't remember what I was working on. I know uh, towards the end, I was like a in-house freelancer. I could work for any department within Hasbro. You know, if somebody needed help on a certain thing, I would help out. I was also in the girls department towards the end, which probably did me in. What do you mean? Uh, I don't think the director of the girls group really liked me that much. I was the only male figure in, in the girls department. All the rest were all girls. So I don't know. I, that's when I, I, I left Hasbro being in the girls group. So it was pretty disappointing. So, um, you are a landscape painter. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, were you painting landscapes when you were at Hasbro or did that start after? Yeah, this all started after I left. So painting a landscape it, to me is completely different than than product design, whether that's a, a oh, yeah. person or a tank or a, a little horse or a doll. What is it about landscape painting that interests you? Oh, because it's so different, you know. It's just something I enjoy doing. Though know, I mean, there are so many different you know places to go and paint, and you know and it's something I really enjoy doing. Eventually, I learned uh, how to paint on copper, which is a, a method that goes back to the 16th century. Uh, many paintings were done on copper at that time. So I wanted to try that. What is what is the difference between painting on copper versus uh, paper or canvas? Well, the... It, well, it's kind of hard to explain that too because it, it, you paint on copper with o, with oil paint or sometimes acrylic, but um, with oil paint, supposedly the colors that you put down on copper over the years will eventually get richer and richer in color, and it's due, to, I guess, to oxidation or whatever. Um, but 16th century paintings are still around and they're on the floor. Not a lot of people know about painting on copper and it, it is a method that goes back uh, like four or 500 years. So. I, I feel like there's a, a connection or a parallel between you being interested in painting in a technique that goes back several hundred years and you being interested in military costumes that go back several hundred years. Yeah. Even if you're not painting those costumes. These landscapes, right? I see I see prominent props like a vehicle or a chair or a bicycle, but I don't see people. I don't see portraits. Yeah, I don't do portraits. When you are painting a landscape, are you doing it uh, open air? Are you there? Are you doing it in your studio? No, I'm doing it mostly in my studio. I did some plain air work uh, at a couple of workshops, but that, that's about it. I don't get outside that much. 
I'm mainly in my studio where it's nice and quiet and I can think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too many distractions out there. So, so you, so you go there and you take a photo and then you go home and you're working from your photo reference. Pretty much. Yeah. Are you, are you tending to paint exactly what's in the photo or are you adding things or changing? Um, I'm mainly uh, painting exactly what's in the photo. If there's something I don't like in the photo, then I take it out. Uh, okay. You, you see this painting here with the, uh, with the bicycle in the snow, you just had it up there. Yeah. Okay. That's a made up painting. That is not, that is not a photo of a place you went. No, most of these are, I can, I can name where all these are. Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. The one with the, you see the sunflowers up there. Yeah. That's uh, down in Peak town. Okay. Okay. Then the truck that's down Southwick, Massachusetts. I I was driving one day and I went by this old truck and I, I had to stop and take a picture of it. And the one next to that is up uh, on Monhegan Island. Yeah, it was just a chair sitting out there. With a, uh, the next truck was uh, in a place near here. Uh, uh, the guy's got a whole bunch of different vehicles uh, in his backyard and, or out in his front yard near, near a vegetable stand. Uh, the one with the boat that's down in the sandwich mass, that's a low tide. So, you know, I can basically name where all these are, you know. All right. So, um, I know a little bit about the differences between oil paint, acrylic, tempera, and watercolor. It sounds like oil is your preference. Pretty much when I do these. Yeah. It's, it's, it's oil. Okay. And I have to teach myself because I I've never worked in oils before, up up until relatively recently. Up until maybe ten years ago. When you mentioned working in the art department at Hasbro in Cedar yeah. Falls, I think you mentioned making a correction on a painting in gouache. Yeah, I so, know. I never worked in gouache before. Uh, I had a hard time with it. I still do it though. I have some gouache paint here that I, I used on uh, something I had done recently. So, so what what would make you decide recently to use gouache for that and not oil or acrylic? Oh, uh, I figured the oil would take me uh, a lot longer to do. That's why I did it in gouache. Okay, uh, gouache is almost like a watercolor. Uh, and you know, I mean, that's what you mix it with. You're not mixing with turps or anything like that. You know, using water as your vehicle. So made it a little bit easier to do. And where, for instance, you've been doing GI Joe painted commissions of a, of a character is, is that, would that be using gouache? Um, sometimes I've used gouache. Other times I'd use marker. I, you know, I have markers here too, so I, I I use markers as well. Markers probably the easiest of all of them, right? Yeah, I can get I can get a, a colored rendering done pretty quick, but it's it's uh, pen and ink and marker. 
I, I have never worked in oil, but the one thing I know about oil, and this speaks to you describing it taking a long time, is that oil doesn't, oil takes a very long time to dry. And so you paint one layer and then you wait a day or a week, and then you paint another layer and you wait. No, not always. Not always. Okay. But compared to acrylic, which... Acrylic uh, is immediately, almost. Yeah. And acrylic dries as plastic, and acrylic is much more opaque, right? Right. Whereas, whereas in oil, particularly if you're layering, it's it's translucent. If you use a acrylic, like you use watercolor, you can build up layers. Okay. Um, do you paint in watercolor? I used to. Why'd you stop? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I used to do a lot of watercolors years and years ago, and... I know. I just stopped working on watercolors. Uh, I I have one watercolor painting at, at, at Wheaton College that they bought from me, and that's probably one of the the better pieces I've ever done. So, I I took a summer class once in watercolor, and the teacher sort of had us all follow her step by step, and we all kind of made the same painting she made, a, a winter scene. Yeah, and I remember her saying. Uh, you sort of have one chance with watercolor. When it dries, that's sort of what you got. You can't really go back into it or over it. And I thought, maybe I'll go over it with like oil pastels or with, with uh, gouache, which is not which is not watercolor. Yeah. My my watercolors don't look like your typical watercolors. Okay. Uh, they're a little bit tighter. Okay. Uh, except for the sky. The sky is always a wash. Uh, but the rest of it, I, I'm taking my time doing the, the watercolor. If it's a building or, or, or whatever, you know, the one I did sell to Wheaton College had a, like a tobacco building with a lettering on the side of it. And then there was an old truck in front of that. And I had a barrel next to that, which had smoke coming out of it. So, yeah. So what is that painting that we can kind of see behind you? That's Monhegan. When did you do that? Oh, I can't remember. It's, okay. been, it's been a while. Let me get up. It's in Monhegan Island. It's a fishing shack on Monhegan Island. And this is oil? This is oil. Is this on copper? Uh, this one, I don't know. Okay. Nope. And here's another one. This one is on copper. You get the plastic copper, I think. Okay. Oh. Wow. Do you, can you tell where that is? Uh, it feels like Massachusetts, but I can't be more specific. Motif number one, ring a bell. Uh, oh, am, am I embarrassing myself not knowing something basic from art history? It's in Massachusetts. Uh, I I give up, sir. <laughs> it's in New, uh, Rockport, Mass. Okay. Uh, I don't think I don't think I've been there. I know I should have by now. And it's done on copper. Oh yeah! Wow. Okay. And you, on this, you can see the copper coming through on the top and on the bottom. Okay. Wow. 
Mark, I've been asking a lot of non-GI Joe <laughs> questions, so I'm going to going to pass the microphone back to you. Yeah, I was going to ask sort of you, you were doing you were doing that sort of intensive GI Joe figure dis- character design up to about eighty seven onto something you know other elements at Hasbro for a while and then more fine art um, sort of painting. Then coming back for for the Operation Recall, where you're sort of back in that character design mode, just like you were in the early '80s. How is that? Right. How is that experience? Is it yeah. is is it just like riding a bike, or or was it was it tricky getting back in that same kind of well, mindset? No, it, it's kind of like riding a bike. Uh, my drawings are different from Mark Pennington. Mark Pennington is a comic book artist. So he puts a lot of dramatization in his drawings. My drawings aren't quite like that. Now, I, I sit there and I think about what this guy's gonna, character is going to look like and what I should have on him. Um, when Mark does it, he, does, he suggests uh, what might be there. So I don't, you don't see what's in the final drawing. Uh, I'm not sure how he's doing his his final final drawings now, but he's got to he's got to start putting it in detail, and uh, I started out with detail. I'm working on a figure now for for recall, and um, she's called Damselfly. Okay, it's a character. Uh, she's a bad guy. She has missiles. She has a wings on her back uh, that fold out. She basically does things in secret, you know? So uh, this is basically what I'm, what I, what she looks like. <laughs> okay. oh. Neat. That's one of the characters I'm working on right now. Uh, she's almost done. Then as soon as I get that done, I get on to the next one. I get to figure out what that's going to be. Yeah. It looked like you're sneaking in the skull mo- motif there into the uh, into the wings. Yeah, well, the skull design is is uh, you know basically uh, uh, you know it's on the wings, it's on her knife, it's on her belt, you know, uh, on her shoulder. Uh, that is her identification. So. That it this the skull mask will come off and reveal her real face. It's going to be a separate piece, and also her hair is going to be a separate piece. Yeah, Ron, you have traveled uh, to be a guest at some toy conventions, yeah. GI Joe conventions, and there you get to uh, interact with fans, sell prints of your art. Yeah. Uh, do panels and see people from Hasbro like Kirk or Mark. Yeah. How how is that? How is it to how is it to be a guest at conventions? Oh, I think it's great. I have a good time at the conventions. Uh, you know, I'm not one of these guests who just uh, you know you, you do your thing at a convention and and then you just go off to your room or or go off somewhere i intermingle with all the all the fans you know um i sit down i you know i have a smoke with them 
outside and you know there could be about eight guys out there and uh, you know we're talking about all kinds of stuff and you know it, it's great you know uh i feel like i'm one of the guys one of the fans one you know and i want to be part of them i don't want to be all smug and everything like that and it just it's just me you know i i like i like that and yeah. you know G.I. Joe has been this amazing, you know, cultural phenomenon and and certainly during the the 80s, um, you know, it was in the shops, it's on the TV, it's one of the biggest selling uh, comics. And and I guess for a lot of that, you're working on your own in your in your um, in the office, somewhat isolated from from maybe some of what's happening externally. What uh, what was kind of your sense of, of, I guess, initially realizing quite how successful it was at the time and then um, later on kind kind of the impact that that it's it's had on these people all of these years uh, later yeah at the time we had no idea uh, the impact of what gi joe was gonna be um we just did our our work and everything like that i think within uh two years we saw that you know the numbers went up on on GI Joe and uh, everybody was excited about it and uh, we really didn't know at first but uh, yeah it's just I don't know kind of exciting to see it do that and 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 the line kept on moving along and it's still moving along it just the, the impact of Joe today I mean is is amazing to me uh that there are so many collectors all around the world that collect gi joe it, it just mind-boggling you know um you know i i get messages from from everybody i just got one from a guy in malta of all places you know and uh he, that's pretty pretty cool i uh i got one from a guy in spain and australia you know, uh, the Philippines, you know, they're everywhere. This hat, this hat came from a guy in Chile. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they send me stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool. Can I go back um, many steps further? Because, Ron, we've been talking with you as someone who makes toys. What toys did you have? What? When you were a kid, none. I don't remember any. Were you playing um, outside or with sports stuff? No, uh, running around on a bike. I was probably running around on a bike. I was also playing army with the uh, kids out in the woods. You know, using sticks for guns, and you know, we try hiding and and the other the other guys would try looking for you and everything else. A lot of times they just took off and I was in the woods by myself. <laughs> so as far as toys, all I remember is a, is a pistol that uh, my dad got for me. It was a Colt had a, had a white pearl handle on it. And it was similar to my dad's real one that he had. But after a while, I didn't like it, and I traded it away for a rifle, for an air rifle. That's about all I can remember is having toys. Uh, I think there's a picture of me with a train set, but uh, I don't recall it too much. 
you grew up in the 50s. Yeah. Um, did you have a bike? Yeah. My grandma my grandmother bought me a bike. And you grew up in in Massachusetts in Rhode Island? Western Massachusetts. Western Massachusetts. Okay. Cuz I you know, if, if this if your answer was New York City, I would ask about getting on the bus and the subway yourself and going yeah. and exploring the city. Were you on were you on your own as a kid? Could you ride the bus or was it just your neighborhood? I just rode my bike around the neighborhood basically. Uh it's around the area. Uh, yeah, I mean, not until high school that I started taking a, a bus to school, a city bus. And uh, yeah, now that was it, basically. Yeah. Western Massachusetts is, is not as densely populated as Eastern Massachusetts. No, it isn't. Uh, I, I say this being in Eastern Massachusetts. Uh, right now, where there's a couple yeah. subway stops a half mile away, and buses, and you know, shops, and right. downtowns, and not not skyscrapers necessarily, but some small downtowns. Yeah, Western Mass. Uh, back then, I'm not sure how many were people were in our in our town. I'm from from a town called West Westfield, Mass. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. A, like overgrown or anything. There's a lot of farmland out there. And, you know, no, I used to take my wife out on dates all the time. We'd just drive out to, to nowhere. You know, I did, I did the same thing with my kids. We drive to nowhere. You know, we just drive. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad worked in a, in a factory. Um, I don't know. He's a forklift driver. You know, hmm. my mom worked in a, uh, in a place that sold, uh, I don't know, office supplies and stuff like that. You know, I mean, uh, neither one of them uh, went to college. You know? Was there any sense that you might work in that factory or in that place that sold office supplies? You were going to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be an artist. Mm. Yeah, because I spent most a lot of my time in my room at night or whatever, and uh, I'd, be, I'd be drawing up there. Yeah. Were you were you drawing from comic books? No, out of your out of your head. Out of my head. Did you read comic books? No. Interesting. If anything. I think I remember going down to a, 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 it was like a candy store and they had used comics. Hmm. And I would look for GI Combat, Sergeant Rock, you know, stuff like that. Actually, I thought I was going to be, a, I thought I was going to be a, a Marine, like my dad. I thought I was going to go into the military, you know, at, at one point. And then I met my wife, and that changed everything. So, still married. <laughs> and you did you did go to visit Marvel Comics, didn't you, at some point in the eighties in yeah. New York? Yeah, we we went to meet at, uh, at Marvel at, at one point. Uh, it was at the beginning of uh, us working with Marvel 
to produce a comic book. And that's when I met Larry Hama. But uh, there, there wasn't much going on there at that time. You know, we just got to see some of the guys working in the office. And, and basically that was it, you know. No. Did you did you read the GI Joe comics when they came out? Did you did you no. take a look at them? No. no. <laughs> did you watch the cartoon? No, I didn't watch cartoons either. I I, I just don't. Yeah, doesn't interest me at all. You did get across to see to visit Sunbow in California as well, right? Uh, I don't remember going to Sunbow. Uh, I did go to California to, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the company. It was an animation company, but uh, I don't think it was Sunbow. Oh, I can't think of the name of the place. Hanna-Barbera. We went to Hanna-Barbera. We went there on a tour, and they showed us through throughout the building. And then... Uh, they said if I wanted to come back anytime, I could. So at one point, uh, I took my wife and kids out to California for a vacation. And we stopped in at Hanna-Barbera. And they were, they were very gracious, and they took us around. I got to meet Joe Barbera. And uh, he had uh, Michael Jackson's coat from one of his videos there and he put the coat on my son my son was totally thrilled <laughs> and he had an oscar and he let let them hold the oscar as well yeah but uh yeah other than that that's the only place i think i, I remember going to so so i guess if you you weren't reading the the comics so i guess that wasn't it wasn't influencing things too much for you but Oh, no, I say the only thing that interests me on, on comics are the artwork that are on the covers. I really, uh, I really enjoy that much of comics, you know, and lately it's been John Royal that I like a lot. So, uh, but I do like Robert Atkins work too. And, and your interaction with Larry Hammer was, was that typically at the end of the process that he'd be coming up with the name so you'd have done the design he sees well, it and then yeah. comes up with a name or no larry came up with the name uh other, other figures uh i would come up with the working name and then i would do all my drawings and everything and and the final design went to larry and larry didn't have anything to do with design work at all he only did the the bios, and a lot of people don't understand that that I created the figure and Larry did the bios of the figure. So a lot of people think that Larry did the whole thing. So. And and marketing is is between you and Marvel. So you would do some drawings, you would have some working names. That material, like Kirk Bazigian, would mail or fax that or someone in marketing would mail or fax that to marvel right and then someone would hand it to larry hama and right. he would write stuff and then he would mail it or fax it back to marketing at hasbro yeah 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 so it's not as if there's like a, a an annual meeting between ron and larry no to like compare no. notes no. um 
I mean, we know each other. We know each other, and when we go to a con- when I go to a convention, you know, Larry and I get along, you know, great. So, you know, yeah. And you you just get a surprise at the end of the process when you find out what their their names are, and you're like Zartan. What on earth is Zartan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, doesn't phase me one way or another. You know, when you were at Hasbro and you were making GI Joe. Were you going to toy stores and looking at other toys that other companies were making and did anything yeah. jump out? No, uh, I would go on a field trip, you know, sometime by myself to uh, Toys R Us or whatever and uh, just see what's out on, on the shelves and and see where our product was on the shelves. And, you know, uh I would I would sometimes buy figures that I think are, are you know things that I could possibly use on a Joe figure. You know, I like the articulation on some figures where others I don't. Yeah. You know, we we did field trips like that too. I speaking of articulation, I think G.I. Joe, as soon as I discovered G.I. Joe, that set a ticking clock for my brothers and my involvement with Masters of the Universe because the He-Man figures don't have as much articulation. And so I think that actually sped up us growing out of He-Man. Also, yeah. the, the, the G.I. Joe cartoon was more sophisticated than the He-Man cartoon. So another another ticking clock. Right. Yeah, I I, I wanted to see more articulation in, in the Joe figures, you know, cl- closer to the comic book style of uh, superhero. But uh, unfortunately, they wouldn't let me do that. And engineers didn't want to do it at that time. Uh, maybe because the figure is so, it's so small. You know, uh, they're doing it now with the classifieds. And, you know, I, I think that's pretty great that they have better articulation now. And, and you visited Hasbro, the, the classified team recently, right? And and uh, so, yeah. so how was how was that trip? And and they gave you a big sort of nod on of the of the sort of a tip of the cap because they they for their Haslab unlockable character the the yeah. his tactician they had a competition to to for people to vote which one they wanted based on, on your uh, kind of color designs for the for the original ones so can you tell us about what that process was like well i was asked to uh in uh july i think if i wanted to work on uh, a figure for uh the new his tank um they didn't i thought i was doing the driver but uh it turns out i i did a a, a drawing of uh the um his tactician which goes with with the driver and uh they were using my color studies that i did back when to to create you know that figure they had uh collectors on the outside vote for the the color that they liked the best and uh basically went from there I didn't hear back from them for a while. We had a meeting, I think, in September. They showed me the new his tank, 
and uh, it's huge. It's big. <laughs> it's and, and it's got you know, it's got lights that light up inside it and everything else and you know, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a nice piece. Uh, they were supposed to get back to me so I could start the color, and uh, they didn't get back to me till. November, I think, and I did a I did a color rendering for him, and uh, I sent that in. So, so it's in their hands now. So you now I'm just waiting to see what it looks like. They they have a guy in uh, in Virginia who's doing all the packaging for them, and uh, yeah, just have to wait and see. Mark, did you back this project? Are you getting a gigantic his tank in the mail next year? <laughs> I will be. Yeah, I did back it. And yeah, I have no idea where I'm going to put it because it looks like it's massive. But um, it, yeah, looked too cool. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this when I uh, visit friends in their homes. I, I have two, three. I've I have three of the originals in a box in the room next door. I guess technically one of them is original and two of them were the mail order ones. But uh, I I was tempted by this because it's so egregiously big and like audacious uh, <laughs> and wonderful and daring of Hasbro to do. But I, uh, I, I need to be downsizing a little bit this year. Um, and so I, I decided not to do it. But if the, if the, um, the sort of the, the minimum number, the goal for the the uh, campaign stalled out a couple days before the clock ran out. Uh, I may have done it just to sort of feel like I could do it, but then I would have felt like I would immediately need to sell it to someone who had missed out and changed their mind. Mark, I have run out of questions, so I I, I completely yield the mic to you. What is it like seeing your your kind of original designs now sort of be having this new lease of life at a um, six inch scale with all of these extra, you know, detailing that, that computer design yeah. and uh, and at the bigger scale allows for? I know I kind of I kind of like the way the classifiers look right now. Uh, they're expensive though; they're expensive as hell, <laughs> and I won't buy I won't buy a lot. You know, I I have some of them here, but I just won't buy what they have. Have just way too expensive for me. Also, the packaging is, is starting to suck. Uh, they're just they're putting an illustration on the front of the package down. It is no, no, you know. I rather see the I rather see the figure, you know, <laughs> on the package when it when it opens up. Have a window there. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting rid of the uh, the plastic but window. I'll, the six six inch figures are nice. Uh, I just got my Dusty from Pulse, you know. So I got a, oh. actually I got two of them now. So I'll give one to my son. I don't know what else. Uh, I picked up uh, a Viper from Pulse probably about a month ago, and the Viper looks pretty good. So. But uh, I don't. I'm not collecting a whole bunch of them. Uh, I shouldn't be buying any, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I got too much stuff here. Had uh, I wanted to ask you about sort of like the the early days and the project that you sort of did sort of, uh, on that. So the I think it's called Code Name Blast Off documentary that that you did. Can you tell us about 
that and it looks like it's now out of stock and I've and I've missed my chance to to get it. Is it is there a way of uh being able to to watch it? Uh I don't think so. Um I had a thousand copies of of that and I sold out. And uh there's no way I can uh you know get to another one unless I have more in production and right now I can't afford to uh, get those to do it over again so if doing that uh, uh documentary uh my son is into film and video production work and uh, he filmed the whole thing and edited edited it himself and uh he did a really good job on that um uh, we had to hunt down some of the uh people that uh, are in it uh, and ask for permission to, uh, you know, videotape them and everything else. And there are a couple of guys in Rhode Island that wouldn't do it. You know, one was a model maker and the other one, one I forgot who he was. And then there was a, uh, there was a guy who was uh, in charge of uh, sculpting at the time and he didn't want to do it. Um, but we did, we got uh, enough people. Uh, I even got the uh, CEO of the company, uh, Alan Hassenfeld. He agreed to uh, to doing the video. And uh, so we went to see him. Uh, I got went to Larry Hallman's apartment in New York City, and Larry did something for us. Uh, Greg Bernstein in New Jersey. Fred Eddins, I believe. When he was here, he lives in Alabama now. All the people we got were re- receptive to being on our our little documentary and talking about GI Joe, and, and you know it worked out pretty good. And maybe we'll do another one someday. Who knows if we can find the people? They're all over the country now. <laughs> right, like an updated, ex- expanded edition. Yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll see. And I had a very specific question, which Uh-oh. about 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 the Baroness there, because um, she uh. she appeared she appeared in the in the first issue of the GI Joe comic, which was quite a long time before the the toy came came out. Yeah. Um. So so which came first, the comic or the or your your toy design design? Did you uh, did they see your design or did you see their design. Do you remember? No, they they saw my design. You know, um, I designed I designed the Baroness. I wanted her to be, uh, you know, educated and whatever. Uh, that's why I gave her the glasses, and I wanted her to have armor on her. You know, uh, so you know that's why she has the breastplate and the things on her legs and everything. Um, after it was sculpted, it came to uh, back to us at R and D, uh, and she had rather large boobs at the time when they came back. And uh, marketing says, "No, no, no, we can't have her with big boobs." No, so uh, Roger Avery had one of his sculptors trim them down. So they weren't quite as big as they turned out to be. 
And uh, yeah, and then that was basically, that's history. But uh, the, the idea for Baroness came from me. So, yeah. Between you and a blank piece of paper, that's uh, where the Baroness came from. Correct, correct. And Destro, where did he come from? Because he he's one of the, he's an early figure, but he's so unusual, but and also you know so instantly iconic. Where where did this idea for um, for Destro and his his like chrome head? I don't know how I got Destro. Uh, I don't remember. I just kind of dreaming up some kind of a bad guy. You know, you get, he's got that big collar that goes around his neck. That's supposed to represent a, a a cobra. Oh, right. And then he's got the metal head, and I forgot why I gave him a metal. Oh, I think it's probably from uh, Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah. You, you remember the man from the Iron Mask? The movie? I know the story, but yeah. That's mm. basically where that came from. And something I, I often wonder... <laughs> I, sort of a grown man wondering this, but in your opinion, Destro, his chest there, is that is that an open shirt with his chest showing or is that some sort of undergarment? No, it's an open shirt. Open <laughs> top. Uh, Ron, as a kid, I thought that Destro's chest was not skin, but a shirt or a garment that was sort of a Caucasian peach yellow. No, it's it supposed to be his skin. Well, I, I think what I was reacting to is that his torso piece is molded in black plastic. And so this part has to get painted. And oh, okay. that paint on top of the black plastic doesn't look as warm as Caucasian oh, flesh yeah, yeah, yeah. or the like Caucasian plastic that a bunch of the Joe's heads yeah. were molded in. And it was only sort of later in life when I started to realize, oh, that's actually his chest. He's just that confident <laughs> uh, in his costuming. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Okay, next next one with sort of the mysteries of these things that I often think about. Uh, we've got the V2, version two snake eyes, and he's got that sort of iconic visor on him, which, um, you know, it's quite a different look to his, his version one. He's my favorite. He's your favorite. Wow. He's my favorite snake. Yeah. And, and where, where, where is, where's, yeah, the inspiration for the, for the mask? Was mm -hmm. it, was it, was it knights in shining armor or, or? For, for some reason, I can't remember. I, I always thought it was uh, one of the characters from Star Trek who had the slit across his eyes. He was the he he flew the uh, Enterprise. Do you remember that? Uh, Are you thinking of Jordy LaForge? No, you know he wore these glasses that covered his eyes. In Star Trek, um, oh, he's well known. I can't think of his name, but uh, I think it basically came from there. But now that you mentioned the. Uh, the facial there was a uh, there was a knight uh, oh, that had a had a shield or something that went across it like that as well. But uh, that's basically where it came from. 
because I think there was some of the these um, sort of early, I think might be World War One, World War Two helmets that had almost like a visor on them, but uh, which which I've heard speculated as being an inspiration behind that look. Yeah, I don't recall that. And actually, while we're talking about snake eyes, just because I've got it in front of me. He came with um, his little pet or, or animal companion, Timber the the wolf, which which a fair few of uh, the figures yeah. did. Was that was that an idea of was that an idea of yours as well of of having the the animal companions for the characters? Tell you the truth, I don't remember even doing the uh, Timber at all. That was probably added on later. So yeah, I don't remember doing them. To tell the truth, I had a. And the thing was, I have a couple had a couple of models here of it of timber. Uh, they're now gone, but yeah, I don't remember doing them. Maybe there's a drawing out there that, of mine uh, <laughs> that has the uh, the wolf. It's certainly fair if out of the um, hundreds of figures that you designed and the tens of thousands of drawings and sketches and presentation pieces that you would not remember doing some. And maybe there is a drawing out there with your name on it, or maybe there's a drawing out there with someone else's name on it. Figure that's 40 years ago. I'm uh, getting old. My memory's <laughs> going on me. You have been very patient with us as we have asked these very specific questions. Absolutely, yeah. So so we have taken enough of your time. And uh, and so thank you for being so uh, generous with, with it. And and. Uh, hopefully, we've explored uh, some some interesting ground uh, uh, that hasn't you haven't been asked about quite so often before. Let me, ask you, Mark. Do you have Mark? Do you have conventions over there? Yeah, in in the UK, we we do have conventions. We've got one specific UK convention for GI Joe called Rollout Roll Call, which is organised by a guy called Dave Tree. Yeah. Um, you might you've probably met him over in the states when he's visited. Um, so, so I'm hoping that at some point in the future, Dave might uh, might might give you an invite <laughs> for two. <laughs> <laughs> I think his budget is small, but yeah, we were over in England. Uh, uh, oh no, maybe thirty years ago. Uh, if if I had gotten a friend of mine at Hasbro to uh, stay with Hasbro for a, a year, I could go anywhere in the world I wanted to go. So I chose I, England, I you know, because of the history. And so we stayed in London for three days, and, and then I rented a vehicle, and we drove out in the country for three days. So that worked out pretty good, you know. Mm. Uh, because we went to Stonehenge and Avon, and and uh, you know, it was, it was really nice. I enjoyed my time over there, and I, I'd love to go back there again. And uh, I'd love to go to Scotland too. That's on my my bucket list. So one of these days, yeah, I certainly hope you do get over here sometime. You know, thank you for having me, and uh, I uh, thank you so much, Ron. This has been great. And we'll see you again, Tim, I'm sure. I will see you again. Uh, yeah. If if not at a convention, then maybe just for lunch. Maybe I'll come down and see you. Yeah. 
I don't want to go to Boston. I don't. <laughs> I went to school there, but that's it. <laughs> I'm 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 happy to not ask you to come up to me. I will drive down to you. Yeah. Alrighty. Cool. Uh, well, we're we're gonna sign off, Ron. Uh, and uh, uh, why don't we let you click off, and Mark and I can do our our wrap up sign off uh, separately. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Ron. This has been great. Okay. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. So, so yes, that was great. Great to have uh, Ron on, and um, yeah, a real founding father of GI Joe. Really, I mean, what I what I wanted to say at the sort of the beginning is that we're normally talking about the comics, um, and, and this is kind of a break from that. But when but when we're talking about what GI Joe looks like, how it's you know represented visually, the you know the entire look of these characters it wouldn't exist without uh, the work that ron had, had done so so much of the visual identity of gi joe you know owes so much to to, to the work of, of ron so uh it was uh, yeah good to to have him on good to, to talk to such an uh, important um yeah creator legend of gi joe uh actually a hasbro legend i'm i'm referring to the the hasbro legends uh, evening and the and the dinner at Hascon in was it 2017? So that Ron actually does have that title. It's an honorary one, but Hasbro legend. That's not just us being, you know, in this post Stan Lee way, like you know, adding superlatives and nicknames. Mm -hmm. And Tim, we didn't we didn't talk about your. Uh, your bats um, designs with uh, Ron, but over at a real American book, you've got all sorts of interesting um, behind the scenes designs from Ron, such as these three uh, bat illustrations, which sort of just goes to show how in the, in the process of creating these characters, how often, you know, the, very diverse looks can be experimented with before they land on the the final one so sort of starting here as a bionic trooper you know half man half machine before sort of getting to the more iconic look that um that that we eventually you know arrived at with the with the bats yeah those three drawings in your first slide uh i don't think i ever posted the fourth and fifth and sixth ones but i have six of them and uh, if you are interested in Rudat specifically at my blog, a realamericanbook.com, in the search field on the top, if you just type Rudat, uh, you'll come up with the five or six or seven posts I've made over the years that feature Ron's artwork. Yeah, there's a great one with Ricondo's um, pre production art and uh, that fantastic post about Torch and serpentor's chariot and a couple more besides so um if you've not yet delved into a real american book.com um there's some uh, great very relevant content <laughs> over uh, over there and um when you're not uh, talking to me about geo joe or writing about it on your website tim where else can people find you 
at my brick and mortar comic book store hub comics in somerville massachusetts and with my creative partners there are video essays on tv and film at atomicabe.com and our youtube page atomic abe productions excellent uh, and if you want to find out more about our show talkingjoe.co.uk is the place to find it so links there to all of the uh, audio shows our video our videos on youtube the facebook group twitter instagram and our patreon so a big thanks to all of our backers uh, who are contributing to the running of the show um but i think that is us done for now tim which leaves you just to say that nobody beats talking joe an international podcast <laughs> we, poor, poor ron wasn't given an opportunity to join him in the scene never mind <laughs> latest uh that was cool <laughs>